0: I want to take uh, the first part of that second reading from Paul's letter to Timothy. In fact, his second letter, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. If you're making use of the Pew Bible, you can find that text on page 1182. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and beginning at verse 14, which I'd like us to read again. 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning at verse 14 on page 1182 of the Pew Bible. Paul, as we mentioned last week, is in prison in Rome. This will be his last imprisonment because it will soon end in death. And he's aware of that and mentions that, in fact, in the fourth chapter. But beginning at verse 14, he's writing to Timothy, whom he's left as a bishop in what is now Asia Minor, or what was then Asia Minor and what we now know as modern-day Turkey. But in verse 14, he says, But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned, and you have come to firmly believe, and knowing from whom you learned it. Indeed, Timothy, how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through Christ Jesus. Indeed, verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. This morning I want to talk about Holy Scripture, where it comes from, and what it's good for. Holy Scripture, where it comes from, and what it's good for. In February 2020, just before COVID struck, uh, Adam Gully and I went to Second Baptist Church. There was a, to hear a special presentation that was made by uh, representatives of Tyndall Press, and they were uh, presenting their version of the Bible called Immerse, which is a Bible uh, in the New Living Translation, and they have taken out the chapters uh, and the verses. Uh, so that the reader can read the Bible as perhaps it was originally intended uh, to be read in as much as we know that the numbers and number system was put into the Bible uh, much later. But during the presentation, uh, the co-founder of the Institute for the Reading of the Bible, uh, a man called Paul Caminiti, he shared some interesting statistics. He says it takes about 80 hours to listen to the whole Bible on CD. 80 hours. And then he noted that it takes approximately 87 hours to re re-watch, re-watch all the episodes of Friends. And then this one hit home, at least the Thompson home. It takes 99 hours to re-watch the episodes of The Office. And then he said something interesting, he said, if someone was to read 15 chapters of the Bible a day, five days a week, it would take 90 days to read the whole Bible. And so reading the Bible, perhaps even the whole Bible, is not nearly as daunting a task as we might have thought, at least it doesn't take as much time as other things that we might commit ourselves to. But we might ask, uh, where does the Scripture come from? Well, ultimately, the Apostle Paul says that Scripture comes from God. And In fact, notice again that first part of verse 16. All Scripture, he says, is God-breathed or breathed out by God. And then he notes, that it's profitable in various different ways. But he says that all Scripture is, is breathed out by God. It's an interesting, what they call a hapax lagamana. That means when a word is only used one time. And it's only used here in the Scripture. In fact, I don't think we have any other ancient references to this particular word. He might have very well have coined it himself. But it means theo theonoustos, theo for God. Noustos like a pneumatic tools or breath, wind. So, it means that Scripture is theonoustos, it's God-breathed. The point being, of course, is that what what he's saying is that all Scripture ultimately finds its source in God. In fact, this point is made uh, throughout the Bible, and in the New Testament in particular, using this sort of language and making this sort of point. So, in 2 Peter, for instance, in Peter's second letter, a disciple of Jesus and later an apostle who was very close to Jesus. He said this in 2 Peter 1, No prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, he says. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but rather men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. In fact, we have that in the Nicene Creed when we get to the bit Or the third part about the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit has spoken through the prophets. So when you hear the prophets speaking, what you're really hearing is the word of God. Or the writer to the Hebrews in chapter 1 and beginning at verse 1 said this long ago and at many times, in many ways, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, God has spoken to us through His Son. And so, ultimately, Scripture comes from God. But for most of us, and in most cases, the Scriptures that are ultimately from God, the words of Scripture come to us from others who have themselves been impacted by these same Scriptures, such as teachers of the Word, or perhaps family, our friends. And, of course, this was the case in Paul, with, for Paul's protege, Timothy, as is mentioned here. Notice again, verses 14 and 15. But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned. The fact that he's a learner means that somebody taught him. But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have been, literally in the Greek, have come to be persuaded by. Here firmly believed, knowing, Timothy, from whom you learned it. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which is code language for what we would think of as the Bible. Which are able, these scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And so Timothy was taught the scriptures by the Apostle Paul. Uh, for instance, uh, in this same letter, in verse chapter 1 and verse 13, Paul says, uh, p- uh, Timothy, follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me. And so Timothy was taught by the Apostle Paul. But even before that, and there's reference being made here by the Apostle Paul relative to Timothy's early life, he was taught the scriptures by his mother, and by his grandmother. Maybe that pattern sounds familiar. And maybe you are part of that pattern. I know that my grandmother had a huge impact on my life. She was always quoting scripture. In fact, she grew up in the depression. In fact, she'll be 101 next month. And, I, and she's doing quite well. I saw her uh, last month. And, uh, but she grew up in the depression. And in the depression, they didn't have money at least Her family didn't have money to go see doctors. And uh, so when they got sick, you know what they did? Well, they put the name of Jesus on it. (laughs) And you know what happened? (laughs) People got well. And so when I was coming up, now two generations after her, I would fall down or some, in fact, I was falling down a lot and crashing into things. Um, But uh, she would say, come here and let's put the name of Jesus on it. Now, that made a huge impact on my life, even though in my earliest earliest days, I really wasn't particularly interested in her God. But one thing was clear with regards to my grandmother, and that was it mattered to her. In fact, it seemed, in my estimation, that it was the most important thing in her life, and it affected everything else that she did. But Timothy had that sort of relationship with his mother and his grandmother. In fact, in this same letter to Timothy, Paul writes in chapter 1 and verse 5, he said, Timothy, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, of faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. And now I'm sure it dwells in you as well. And so notice again verses 14 and 15 with these things in mind. But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred scriptures, the sacred writings, the graphe, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Indeed, Lois and Eunice passing on the message of the Scriptures to their son and grandson, Timothy, was in keeping with the teachings of the Scriptures themselves. They were living out and practicing the tradition that had been practiced, with, been practiced by the generation before them and the generation before that and the generation before that and so on. In fact, we read in Deuteronomy chapter 6, the great Shema of Israel Deuteronomy chapter 6 and beginning at verse 4, Moses says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be in your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your children. And talk of them when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. And so our children, being people of faith, begins with us. With us knowing the scriptures, with us living the scriptures, with us sharing the scriptures. In fact, you may not realize this, but your children will probably have a be great, more greatly impacted by you personally than any Sunday school teacher could possibly impact them. And what they think about God, and what they think about Scripture and Jesus Christ, and how that all fits into how somebody's to live their lives. You're the one that's providing the model, and in all likelihood the philosophy that they will follow in your plays. Indeed, Howard Hendricks, who was a professor of mine when I was in Dallas at Dallas Seminary in the 80's and he was an older man at the, at, by that time. But he said this, We cannot impart to others what we do not possess ourselves. We cannot impart to others what we don't possess ourselves. This is one of the things that Edwin Friedman always talks about, is that if you want to change things around you, the place to start to affect change around you is to change yourself. Which is quite liberating, by the way, because that's something that you can do. And changing others, well, that's practically an impossible task. You may have noticed that. So, Howard Hendricks says, we cannot impart to others what we do not possess ourselves. Or Donald Soper, the one-time Methodist minister in England, said, our faith must mean everything to us before it can mean anything to anyone else. Our faith must mean everything to us before it can mean anything to anyone else. And so, that's the first thing, where Scripture comes from. Then, secondly what Scripture is good for. Indeed, you may be even asking that question, by the way, what is it good for? Well, Paul mentions four things. Notice verses 16 and 17. He says, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. Usually the word profit has something to do with money, and that certainly is true in our culture. In fact, that may be one of the reasons why you wonder if there's anything uh, uh, good about the Bible, or what's it good for? I mean, can it make me money? (laughs) Maybe it could make something even more important than money. Verse 16, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God, or in our case, because he's talking to He's talking to a bishop, a pastor, and, but this is, applies to all believers, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. And so Paul mentions four things that Scripture is good for, and the first is teaching. That is the impartation of, of knowledge, or, or, in more, or more particularly, divine truth, What is true? I mean, that was what Pilate asked. Jesus, what is truth? Now pick up the Bible (laughs) and let God speak. In fact, uh, Jesus himself famously said, and it's recorded for us in the New Testament in John chapter 8, Jesus said, or we read there, so Jesus said to those who who had believed in him, quote, if you abide in my word... You are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. It was certainly important to Jesus. He was, amongst other things, a teacher. Uh, And he said, if you abide in the things that I teach you, you will know the truth. Why? Because I'm telling you the truth. (laughs) And if you abide in that truth, my words, you'll be set free by it. Christine Kane, in her book, Undaunted, wrote this. When you believe God is who he says he is, and when you hang on to his word in faith, his truth sets you free. The truth you store up in silence. I think maybe she's referring to the, you hear the word at church, or you you hear it in a Bible study, or you read it yourself, and there in this silence... The truth you store up in silence in your own heart, your own mind comes back to you when the storm strikes and the truth lifts you away as on a life raft from the fears and disappointments that would otherwise put you under. When you abide in God's words, and that's what Paul was saying to Timothy, continue in the things that you've learned, Timothy. That's the answer to your life and your ministry as I go to be with God. Christine Cain says, and when you abide in God's word, God abides in you. And so that's the first thing it's good for, teaching, the impartation of truth. And then Paul says reproof. Notice again verse 16. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching and for reproof. That is a a word pointing out what is amiss in your life. We often use more, reproof is sort of an old-fashioned word. We might more commonly use the word rebuke. Stop it! That's not what God has called you to do. That is contrary. That would be a rebuke or reproof to stop us doing what is amiss in our life. Of course, this isn't always in a pleasant experience. Too often, Christian people think the bad things that they're they're doing are actually good things. (laughs) Based on sound principle. And they're usually angry about it. And there's hardly anything you can do with a person like that. But maybe pray, offer some guidance, and then hope for the best. Because such things are generally not pleasant. In fact Benjamin Franklin wrote this, he said, the sting in every reproof is the truth. (laughs) The sting in every reproof is the truth. And so somebody telling the truth on us can be awfully painful. Or as someone else has written, sometimes the truths that we need to hear or want to hear the least are the truths that we need to hear the most. That's kind of exciting to me, at least at this point in my life, because I know that those are the things that will change my life and get me out of the ruts that keep me from succeeding with God. So if someone loves you enough to reprove you or say, hey, you know, I'm not so sure about that, that's a real friend. Don't be mad. Give him a hug. that's the second thing reproof and then thirdly correction notice again all scripture verse 16 is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching for reproof and for correction that is the redirecting after after pointing out now you're on the wrong road that's a rebuke that's reproof correction is saying and here's the right road And so correction is a redirecting of our lives away from that which is not good toward that which is. C.S. Lewis wrote in his book, The Great Divorce, he said, I don't think that all will perish who choose the wrong roads in life, but their rescue consists in being put back on the right road. Listen to what he said. I don't think that all who all will perish who choose the wrong roads in life, but their rescue consists in being put back on the right road. Of course, it was Jesus who talked about the roads, right? Beware and stay away from the broad road that leads to destruction, but rather seek the narrow road that leads to life, or as Frost put it, I took the road less traveled, and that made all the difference. And so that's what correction does. It gets us off the wrong road and puts us on the right one. And that's what Scripture does for us if we're paying attention and investing in it. Finally, uh, uh, Paul mentions training. Notice again verse 16. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable of a benefit for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And we know, we don't know all about training because we have trainers, right? Uh, we, we don't just run around the neighborhood now, and now we have uh, memberships at uh, at. Uh, uh, Gymnate gyms and, and that sort of thing and then they have a professional trainer, you know, Mike Mike He's my trainer right? and What does Mike do or Janet as the case may be? Um, well, when you go there, they give you to, no no don't do it that way. You're gonna hurt yourself. Right? and they show you the right way To do it. So for your what? He, he, Mike's not trying to hurt you. He's trying to keep you from being hurt and, and he's trying to make your workout what more productive and so here training the Bible uh, is good for training if you like it's like a spiritual coach think of Scripture as a spiritual trainer calling us to engage in spiritual disciplines that lead to growth and strength and freedom and spiritual maturity Indeed, the ultimate purpose of Scripture-based teaching and reproof and correction and training, Paul says, is twofold. Notice again, verses 16 and 17. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. That, when you see the word that, that's the setup for purpose in order that the man of God or the woman of God, as the case may be, may be competent in these things and equipped for every good work. And so the ultimate purpose of Scripture-based teaching and, re- and reproof and correction and training is twofold, namely spiritual Completeness or what we might say spiritual competence or our spiritual fitness, spiritual proficiency. You can't be fit and proficient and competent in spiritual things and ignore the word of God. That's what Paul is saying. It must have a central place. It's like being in shape and never exercising. And so that's the first thing, spiritual completeness. And then secondly, spiritual equipping. So you move from a state of being to a state of having. If you like being spiritually outfitted, or if you like possessing everything that you need, all the tools that you need, in order to do all that God calls you to do. And so that's what Scripture Is good for. Too often, especially where clericalism is rife, people are under the delusion that this is for me because this is my profession. But we're all going to be judged based upon these things. And all of these things are offered to all of us. To everyone within, within earshot of Jesus, everything he said was for everybody who would could hear. And he said, if you have ears to hear, listen. And maybe that's what he's saying to you today. To spend more time. Think of the things that are important in your life. You spend time with them. You can spend 99 hours watching the office reruns. Or You can give some adequate time to reading the Word of God or being a part of a study group or something to kind of see, well, how do you do that? How do you study the Bible? In fact, the men's group before COVID hit, we were right in the middle of a study on how to study the Bible. And these things are available to us certainly at Holy Cross. The scripture's features large in all that we do. And so to take take the time to be a part of that and then to spend time with it yourself. In fact, I think the, the average is that the average American home owns 2.75 Bibles, not quite three. And we just need to take it off the top of the TV set and blow it off and open it up. In fact, if you go into the, 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 later after service, if you go into the gathering space and on that black table, just to the left of the exit doors, there's all kinds of materials for study, uh, for uh, uh, studying the Bible, how to study it and, and ways in which to get through the Bible and one way or another. And so I want to invite you to avail yourself of those things. Holy Scripture, where it comes from and what it's good for. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you so much. You've spoken, Lord. (laughs) You know, so we spend a lot of time, you know. Oh, I wonder what she's thinking. I wonder what he's thinking. Well, we know what you're thinking, Lord, (laughs) because you've told us. You've told us about everything. You've told us about what you think of yourself, what you think of the world, what you think of us. You've told us about your plans, what you're trying to accomplish. You let us know how you see any particular situation. And you give us insight on how to handle those things and what to do. And oftentimes, it's quite contrary to conventional wisdom, so-called. But it's the truth. Indeed, Lord, help us to quit loving lies that tell us what we want to hear rather than the truth that we need to hear. Because the former leads to destruction and the latter leads to eternal life. And so help us, Lord. We need your help. Give us a taste for it. Pull us into the light if we need to be that we might be all that you made us to be and that we might know joy unspeakable and full full of glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.